Welcome to the On Course Podcast presented by New England Golf Journal. I am Sean Melia, joined as always by Jim McCabe. Jim, how you doing? I'm wet. wet, wet. <laughs> it's a summer. Summer. It's summer's still going on. It's crazy. Yep. yep. Crazy. It's but, uh, mid-September. We're here. Mid-September. Yeah. It's a rainy Monday. It is. We were just talking about just the rain we've gotten all all summer. Wet golf courses. Uh, the med, the men's mid am has been pushed back a day. We're supposed to start today. Um, yeah. The women are braving the rain. So I think sometimes fall golf has like maybe the best marketing team in the world. It does. People love fall <laughs> golf, but it always seems like <laughs> there's a lot of rain, a lot of cold. I'm I, I'm not I'm not against fall golf, but I just feel like people line up to praise fall golf just for the sake of. Well, I think it's become a marketing thing because <laughs> it has the one glorious thing that you can't, you, no one wants, no one wants to read. They want to look at pictures and yep. the pictures of fall golf, um, the foliage and I get a little ridiculous. I think it, you start hearing about foliage. Oh, it's a good year for foliage. <laughs> and then like this foliage every year. Yeah. But they show the pictures and they go, this is quintessential fall golf. Well, as we know, when fall is wet, it's and it's not as warm. It's it's not quite as attractive. Doesn't but, quite pop. Uh, no, it doesn't. Way. But we do the best we can. Yeah, you've got your you've got your hoodie on right now. People love them. rocking their hoodies in the fall yeah, and they do. wearing they some layers. <laughs> you, you wear a hoodie and you get thumbs up from people that I love hoodies. <laughs> so I thought we were over that confrontation. I thought it was. I thought hoodies were pretty much accepted. Yeah, I think we're good. So I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't look at people as pro hoodie, anti hoodie. Yeah. I wear them because they're comfortable. Yeah. We've got bigger fish to fry in the golf world oh these days God. than hoodies. I wish yeah. we didn't. I wish we had, I wish we could just yeah. argue about hoodies. That would be great. <laughs> fall golf. Also every other fall, we get a bunch of team golf, not, not yeah. besmirching the president's cup here, but we're, we had the Walker cup earlier this month, which was a great event. It looked like it was going to be before it started a U.S. runaway and ended up being yeah. a, a great two days. Solheim Cup starts this week, and then Ryder Cup the following week. Yeah, back-to-back Spain for yep. the women. We have a New Englander in the Solheim Megan, Cup, which is which is pretty great. Going as a winner, too, which is fantastic. Yep. It was always, I know, a sticking point with some golf purists. Oh, my goodness, how can you make a Ryder Cup team or a Solheim Cup team without having one? Yeah. But she earned her way on. She's She's legit. She's one of the clearly one of the best twelve Americans. She's probably yes. one of the best four. So I'm thrilled for Megan. Gonna watch that. And the Ryder Cup is the Ryder Cup. It's <laughs> you know, it's I mean, honest to God, they I swear to God they could get twelve club champs from England, Scotland, Ireland, and somehow make it a match. Yeah. <laughs> it's thirty it's uh what 30, it's been 30 years. 30 years since the U.S. won on European soil. And, yep. and I and you, know, you point that out, and there's still, a, I don't want to use the word arrogant, but there's still an indignant attitude sometimes. Like, oh, my God, look at the team we're sending over. Yeah. And you know, like Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Tommy Fleetwood, and Terrell Hatton, just to name a few, Shane Lowry, like their chop liver. There's a reason Europe has won Six times, I guess, is it? Yeah, in a row. In a row over there. Yeah, it would you be know. since '97. If Valderrama was yeah, they started the streak, started the streak. Yep. I was fortunate enough to be in '02, the Belfry. 
Okay. U.S. had them exactly where you would. U.S. would take where they were in 02 every single day. They were tied going, going into Sunday. Singles. Yep. And Mr. Ryder Cup, Phil Mickelson. <laughs> uh, I say that <laughs> facetiously. He loses to Philip Price and basically takes all the wind out of the U.S. Yeah. sails that day. And then, of course, Ireland in six was a debacle. Yeah. Wales in 10, it rained from start to finish. It, they stretched it out to Monday. It was a pretty good competition. It's just so disjointed. I mean, that was the, remember they, one of the sessions I think they played, they had to, to make it all even foursomes and four ball. I think they played all 12 Americans played or something, but they had yeah. to play. I forget how they did it, but it was, I'd have to go back and look at the book, but there were in one session, rather than being four foursomes, there were two foursomes and like six four balls. Or yeah. Something like they that. they was, sprinkled in because yeah. they were desperate to finish on Sunday, which they didn't anyways, they, but that yeah, was their that, goal. Correct. They were trying right. to finish on Sunday. They couldn't, they stretched to Monday. It wasn't, it was a very close match. It was a great match. That was my, was that Hunter Mahan? Was that the that chip was, shot? That was a famous chip shot. Yeah, okay, that was that year. But what it, what it gets lost in, Hunter could have hit a really nice chip shot there. And yeah. he probably was going to lose. Yeah, because McDowell. Anyways, yeah. Graham McDowell really stepped it up that yeah. day. Again, you go back and look at that. Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson did not exactly shine that in that Ryder Cup. Um, 14's Glen Eagles. 14, the mutiny. <laughs> yeah. Then nothing on, who, who was a famous mutineer? I'm a, a Fletcher. Fletcher, <laughs> Fletcher Christian, I think his name was mutiny on the bony or something, but it was, it was awful. Yeah. I mean. That it, was the low point, I think. That was the low point, and, and no matter what their complaint was with Phil, with, with Tom Watson, why is Phil in the middle of all this, but he is. Uh, he led the mutiny. I yeah, mean, he can't he go, help himself. I, I, he can't help himself. He really, <laughs> truly can't. He, I, I can always remember the press conference afterwards. It caused a stir. Everybody's like looking at each other. Did, did were you he, there for that? Oh yeah, you were in the room. I sat during in the that. room that day, and we we just basically like he just threw Tom Watson under the yeah. bus, and then and then backed over him, backed yeah. backed up over him, and then had the. <laughs> the audacity to question someone said phil are you 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 is are you criticizing captain tom watson oh no 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 i don't know where you get that yeah pardon me gentlemen i just i just need to point out that you were correct jim it was fletcher christian who was the the english sailor (laughs) who led the mutiny on the bounty in 1789 you weren't you weren't there for that one jim i was not there for that one (laughs) producer davey (laughs) asked yeah saving the day i love it and that started the task force yeah which by the way ricky to this day i can't believe ricky Fowler was put on the original task force yeah it, that was nine years ago now at this point, right? He was a 20 yeah. something so, year old kid. As you can see, I might have a, I might show my emotion about this. I think the task force is a joke. You don't need a task force. You you don't need a task force. You, 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 you have a lot of quality, quality people that are in line. Instead, it, the Ryder Cup, the American Ryder Cup team has been the domain of the, the chosen few. Yep. Davis Love, Zach Johnson, Steve Stricker. We know how to win the Ryder Cup. Well, they've had three chances. They've won. They got pounded in Paris. <laughs> yeah, that was a tough. I mean, that golf course. They brought the wrong guys. They, they brought, brought the wrong, wrong guys, guys to that. And you know, their picks were bad. Um, 
we'll see. I mean, it's great emotion. It's great. Singing is great. Yeah. It will be in Italy. The Europeans travel very well. If it was, if they strictly left it to the Italian golf fans, it probably wouldn't be that. Sure. But it, they bring in the European golf fans. They travel well. They party well. They sing well. Yeah. They wear draped flags all over them. Yeah. And it's become, it's pretty good. I think the U.S. team is stacked. I think it usually is. We'll see. I, I, I make no prediction other than that. There's always someone... Philip Price in 2002, Nicholas Kosak. Yeah. Yep. Victor Dubuisson. Yeah. Um, Victor's not even on the oh. golf landscape these days. He played well in Glen Eagles. There's always someone that you don't expect. And there's always someone from the U.S. team that isn't going to quite play as well as you expect yeah, them to right, play. Yeah, right, right. We'll see. I think it'll be a good match. I, the course, I think, is a typical European Ryder Cup course. It does not favor. Might not. It, it's going to take some local knowledge. But the thing that uh, strikes me is that everyone still talks like this was 1978. Yeah. Where Europeans play a different game. They don't. No, it's the Rory same. McElroy plays. <laughs> Rory McElroy does not play the ball down. Yep. These are not Lynx courses they're playing. They're target golf. They're a little funky. We'll see. I expect it to be a good match. I, if I had to bet right now, I would bet the, the U.S. is due to, due to win. Okay. This so that's where you put your money. I, I, I would. I've, I've, I'd, uh, put my, I'd put my euros because if, if, if you're <laughs> over there, you're going to – but I, I would put my money on them. When I, I think it will be a good match. I really do. I think there's some colorful – I think Terrell Hatton is – worth watching anytime he plays because he's so animated very interesting to see how the the young kid aberg plays yeah same here amazing story yeah he's guys never story. played in a major he's never played in a major and now he's major, teeing it up and, in the Ryder and, cup and, and and he is nearly he played very well for 54 holes at the pga championship yep. over the weekend rory's rory rom gets fiery about this i think shane lowry is a real good match play player yeah I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be a good match. I, I don't look forward to seeing the same captains. I mean, I'm just tired of these captains. This is the same, making it sound like this is, oh my God, we've studied so hard all the data. You and I and 45,000 of our closest friends yep. would have picked the same guys that they picked. And we may have picked Keegan over Ricky Fowler here and there, but... Uh, they, it's not that Cam Young. It's not that it's complicated. The other one. Yeah. Yeah. The U.S. could have made it. They could have brought, you could make an argument for three extra guys no, you, and they yeah. would have been. You could have, you could have argued for Cam Young, Keegan Bradley and Lucas Glover. Yep. And you know what? And tossed off Colin Morikawa. But you know, how crazy is that? Yeah. You know, ball, that. ball striker, tremendous ball striker. Wyndham Clark earned his way on the team. Brian Harmon at the beginning of the year, Harmon and Wyndham Clark were not in the conversation. They're the they're the fly in the ointment a little bit. I yeah. hope they play well because I do too. I, I do too. I, I, especially Brian, I, especially Brian Harmon because I think people he didn't just win the Open Championship. He buried the field. Yeah, he was awesome. He, on Friday, I mean, it was over on Friday. Yeah, <laughs> it was over on Friday. He just kind of plus he's my size. Yeah, <laughs> you're the little guy rooting for the little guy. That's right. 
and we hit it about the same. Would you? Could you ever imagine a world where we just get rid of qualifiers and we just pick twelve? You just have captains' picks all the way through. You know what? I think that would be you super make, interesting. You can make a defense for Europe should have that right because guys are playing all over guys the world. Are playing all over the world. Yeah. Hey, I. I put that out on Twitter or X or whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> when Keegan didn't get selected, when Lucas Glover didn't get selected, Ricky Fowler is the one that kind of bothers me. Mm. But Ricky is Mister. He everyone loves Ricky. Yeah, all the players. He's not a great Ryder Cup player. Horrible Ryder. Yeah, he's won two matches. He's had four. He played in ten. He played in fourteen. Played in sixteen and played in eighteen. I believe those four Ryder Cups. And he's won once overseas, one match. It took yeah. him until his third Ryder Cup to win a match. Yeah. He was he was having, tying, having. A lot of halves, yeah, just grinding for uh, halves. He, I just don't think, he, when you looked at the, I, I would have picked Keegan over him. I would have picked Lucas over him. The other picks I don't have a beef with. But I think the thing that bothers a lot of people and bothers me is that why have the standings? <clears throat> if, you're, if you're going down, we used to have 10, but now we're all going to have eight. Um, no, we're only going to have six. Then Tom Watson said, no, no, I only want two picks. Yeah. So they went back to 10. They didn't like that. Then they went back. They won six. Yeah. Oh, my God. Two guys qualified. We don't want them on the team. So, yep. I mean, honestly, it, 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 why not just Davis pick? Pick 12. Pick 12 guys. guys. I think it would be fascinating you if know, it was just 12. I mean, Looking at the, all the energy that was spent just debating Justin Thomas getting a selection, right. it would be really, it would just, I think for like content and interest, if you through this summer were just trying to figure out like who are the 12 best Americans and who's going to mm. make it that didn't, some of these guys, you know, played well for two years and obviously the points get, right. the points get weighted more in the Second, Ryder yeah. Cup year. But man, I would uh, to see Zach Johnson or next the next captain have to make a make twelve picks, a four or five or audit like they're you, they're in they're in stone. Yeah, but you know, having to pick seven, well, the, eight the, guys the, who the, the thing that made me laugh was Zach coming out saying this is their team. Yeah. Well, then why are you the captain? I thought it was you. You're the captain. Have some gumption. Get up there, and I'm picking. Oh, I want. Who do they want to play with? So why does Jordan Spieth? That's his rhetorical. <laughs> rhetorical. What is Jordan Spieth who finished eighth? He so he didn't make the team. Yeah, quote him. He was a captain's pick. Yep. Why does he get? Oh, a buddy I want, pick. I want Justin. I mean, yeah. is this a semi-formal? <laughs> bring a guest. Yeah, that's what Scott, it looked. That's what Scotty. it sounded like. And if you're gonna give number eight on the list, Jordan Spieth, a pick. Yep. You clearly got to give number one on the list, Scotty Scheffler, a pick. So yep. that's how Sam Burns is there. Yep. Again, I'm not saying they don't belong there. They, they, they may make a great team doing it that way, but I, I don't know. I mean, the Euros always had a cool way of matching up. Like Fleetwood and Molinari came up out of nowhere in 18, yeah. and they were yep. great. Created a great song out of it. We Yes. <laughs> and, we, and we did have Sebi and Oz. Jose Maria. Yes, that was the Spaniards. Yeah. You know? But then they traded up, right? So like Seve kind of graduates out, he gets too old, and suddenly gets, it's it's Jose and Sergio. 
Jose right? And, and you have this like cool and lineage. Actually, Zinger, who should know better, and he got roasted for this, Paul Azinger. He's on TV saying, oh, this is the way the Euros love to do it. Countrymen, countrymen, countrymen. No. No. No, Paul. Sergio Garcia used to play fantastic with Luke Donald. Yep. Used to play wonderfully with Lee Westwood. Yeah. A Spaniard and Englishman. Yep. Bernhard Langer, he was German. He didn't play with another German all the time. He played with Colin Montgomery. Colin Montgomery and Padraig Harrington, Englishman and an Irishman. Yep. A Scotsman and an Irishman playing yep. against Tiger. And the U.S. is the one that has turned this into buddy-buddy. I, I like playing with you. Jordan Spieth is playing with Justin Thomas. He has a better record with Patrick Reed. Yeah. But he wants nothing to do with Patrick Reed. Yeah, who does? So if you're the captain, <laughs> yeah, if you're the captain, be a captain and say, no, you peer very well with Patrick Reed. Yeah. No, I, I want to play with Jordan. I mean, before I play before we bring in Nick Macario, I think – you just there's there's a great story about Paul McGinley going to Graham McDowell like months before the Ryder Cup when Dubisan was already yeah. was yeah. already kind of going to make the team. He said, "This is the guy you're going to play with." So while you're out on tour, while you're around, you're going to you're going to end up being paired with him in some tournaments. Right. This is the guy you're going to kind of coach through the Ryder Cup because we need someone like you to do it. And McDowell bought in, and they won they won that year, and they were fantastic, they were fantastic together. And but that was seeded that plant. That seed was planted months and months before the Ryder Cup. They, they have had, they've always had, when a guy over in Europe would make the team kind of shockingly, surprisingly, oh my God, he made the team. The Euros don't tend to back off and say, oh, let's change, let's change the goal, 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 goal posts. Let's yeah. move them. We're only going to pick six. Yep. Because as U.S. has done, and the history has shown, there's other examples, but the Euros embraced that guy. They said, oh, Victor, you're on the team. We love you. Yep. He, he was aloof. He was, he was Victor. <laughs> Tough character, yeah. Tough character. <laughs> and Graham was the perfect guy to take yep. him under wing, and yep. they, they won. Well, we haven't had a good Ryder Cup in almost, it feels like, a decade. So hopefully Italy is just a fun entertaining mm-hmm. Sunday and we oh. get some great shots and some, some highlights that uh, are better than a 19 to eight whistling straights boat race and oh, whatever happened gosh. to Paris yeah. and all that stuff. So let's, I write a cup. We could talk about forever. Let's bring in uh, Nick Macario. Who's fresh off another great showing at the U S mid am. He's, he's kind of making a habit of it at this point. We're going to talk to him about that crump cup and some other mid am elite stuff that, uh, that he's been privy to in the okay. last few years. Yeah. Let's bring him in. All right, we have Nick Macario in studio with us. Thanks for joining us on this. Uh, we were talking earlier. It's a rainy Monday. Yes. Yeah. Very far from the course. <laughs> right. Uh, type day in New England, but yeah, thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. Just like last week at uh, Sleepy Hollow, right? Yeah, that was a tough week. It was kind of like a sanctity, right? Like it was yeah. on and off. Granted, with rain, it was harder. But we didn't actually play in rain. I think I hit one shot, like kind of close to rain because there's so much electricity. You didn't yeah. have to worry about that, which was at least... A positive. Yeah. So let's let's start there and talk about last week, and then we'll go back and talk. I'd love to yeah. hear about Sankity as well. And sure. just feels like the trajectory, the upward trajectory, kind of started a couple of years ago. But yep. so Sleepy Hollow, Fenway, Rain reached the round of sixteen. Yep. Just kind of now that you're a week out of it, or a little less than a week out of it, highlights things that just stood out for you from the week. Yeah. The highlights were definitely the golf courses. It was a bummer that. 
it was as wet as it was, yeah. but it was unbelievable. The spread that both courses put on food wise uh, was, <laughs> was, was really, really good. But, you know, as a, I wouldn't say I'm a course architect geek, but for as good as that golf course, I was told that golf course is, it was yeah. phenomenal. Sleepy Hollow and Fenway. Fenway's greens, I can see why people say they're the toughest ones, like in the Met section. If they were firm and fast, would have been unbelievably hard. Yeah. Uh, we got a little bit of a reprieve because of the weather. But yeah, it was awesome. The, I think the highlight for a lot of us was we went to the Thursday night dinner. So typically with all the USGA events, one of the nights they do kind of like a preview, sometimes have a speaker, but just to get together of mostly all the players, significant others, guests. So it's fun. And this year, you, know, you never know what to expect. Sometimes it's very low key. Sometimes the food is pretty good, right? It may <laughs> not be like the best. We played, got off the course, went to the locker room, got changed. And then we go outside and like we knew weather was coming, but didn't stop them. They had outside, they had wine barrels full of crab legs, lobster tails, shrimp, they had make your own sushi station, carving stations. I mean, it was like, what budget? Yeah. <laughs> and so that was probably the highlight of the beginning of the week was yeah. just like being able to see. And you have this view of the Hudson from up top of where it is. And they kind of told you about the history of it all. So starting off the week, going there, you just knew it was a special, special spot. So that was good. And then playing well was a byproduct. It was weird because you played two practice rounds, perfect weather. Yeah, kind of got a good feel. And then you get to Saturday and you, know, you play some holes, you get taken off. You play Sunday, you get some holes taken off. You play a match, you get taken off. So it's a lot of stop and go. But I honestly think for me, I don't have a huge problem usually. It's usually playing the long stretches that are harder for me. Yeah, uh, And as mid-ams, right, is like playing 30, 40 straight holes. Yeah. It's obviously super draining. So yeah. if you're playing six, seven, eight at a time, that actually felt okay because yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, no problem. Um, you got a nice reprieve. You can kind of rest and kind of get back into it after the fact. So, yeah, yeah, it was good. What was the – did you have any days where you actually got to play a full – Yeah, round my second golf? round I played 10 holes at Sleepy Hollow on Sunday morning, I yeah. believe. Someone can fact check this. And then Sunday afternoon you had to go I played the whole Fenway round, okay. which was great. So then Monday we played almost no golf. So we I knew going into Sunday of – the weather looks okay. We'll probably get through all of Fenway. We'll be done kind of late. I think it was like seven o'clock when we finished. But then I was like, all this whole other half has to finish Monday morning. So I know we're going to be able to sleep until at least 11 or 12. Yeah. So that was, that kind of got me through of like, okay, I know what I need to do to finish. So yeah. it was good. Different vibe than Sankety as far as you had to, you were in a playoff at Sankety this yeah, year. Yeah, I had to wait three hours to be in a playoff. This year, knowing what I had to do and kind of where I was in the leaderboard. The We made the turn on the Fenway. I was playing the back nine or the front nine as my back nine. And there's two really hard holes on five and six. It's like a 480 par four with a crazy green and then a 240 uphill par three. And so I know that those were like my 13th and 14th hole or 15th and 16th hole. And so I was like, if I can get to those holes, make par like i pretty much know that I'm, I'm in and made two unbelievable par saves out of the sand and so that kind of kept me going and then it was like all right i don't have to worry being i, I want nothing to do with that cut line <laughs> for obvious reasons yeah 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 is there i think young golfers sometimes have a real trouble playing stroke play than match play totally it's golf but it's not golf i yeah. mean it's totally different 
did you did it take you a while to get used to it or are you yeah i think it de- it's definitely totally different mindset i think for me putting i wish i putted like i do in match play and stroke play I, everyone probably says that right the next one's good just make it so that was obviously an easy part for me i think for every golfer playing match play all your focus is on that one hole right you can't get ahead of yourself you can't say oh well the sixth hole is a birdie hole or the seventh hole is a birdie hole right now it's no i just care what this guy is doing and half the time you're playing your own game anyway so like for me i love match play infinitely more than i love stroke play stroke play is great but i love match play and so i'm trying to get myself a little bit rewired and my coach came down and and watched the um, all match play last week. And I was just like, I, I need to be able to get to kind of a hybrid approach of I'm trying to put pressure on the guy that I'm playing by hitting fairways, greens, and you do that in stroke play, but like your mentality is a little bit different. So yeah, no, I, I definitely think that, you know, the kids are so good now it's, it's a joke anyway, but yeah. I think <laughs> there definitely is a huge difference between the two and the hard part when it's a combined, if it's all match play or all stroke play, you kind of get in there when yeah. you first start in this tournament. It's like, I need to play good in stroke, but I don't need to play great. Then you get to match play and you're like, all right, now I need to like really focus on this one guy. So I have a tendency, a few of my friends who have played in it have a tendency, like you always kind of play to the cut line because mm-hmm. you're saying, okay, I don't need to make 10 birdies. I just need to be yeah. even par and that can get you into trouble, especially if you know where the cut line is. So it's a, Yeah, because I... All of men's women. I mean, I think the women's. I just looked last week, and the medalist got beat right away. Yeah. <laughs> and I looked at the woman who beat her, Sarah Brune from Ingram. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I looked at that, and I said, that was not an upset. No, and I think I that's the- where she was seated. It was not an upset. There are people. I look at your name, and I never look where you finished. You. I mean, it, I know it drives people crazy sometimes. Oh, my God, look at all these upsets. They're not upsets. Yeah, the line is so thin. They talk about it. It was another podcast of like the difference between the the first and the hundredth player on the PGA Tour. Now we can extrapolate that out, but is a quarter of a shot around. That is so small. It's almost the same for if it's a mid-am event or it's an amateur event. So especially with how good these kids are now, you see it in the mass state amateur yeah. I don't know who won medalists, so my apologies to whoever it was this it's year. Broderick, but right? That makes sense. Yeah. So as a f- former loser to John Broderick, <laughs> I think a lot of know, us are. <laughs> the 32nd guy could easily be myself or Matt Parziali or yeah. anybody. And it's like, if they went out and beat John Broderick, that wouldn't be shocking to anybody. No. So yeah. I think to your point, like that line is so thin and the mentality changes too of you know, when you're medalist, or your UVA and your number one, it's like a little bit of a kiss of death to be like the number one if you're playing really good because uh-huh. you have nowhere to go but down and match play is so much different. The guy who's 64th or 32nd yeah. is like, I got nothing to lose. Right. I get to go against the one seed, I'm going to try to beat him. Yeah. And so I think that's probably where some of that comes from. Oh, quite, no question. And, and I think more, I think every year there's more and more people more educated totally. about amateur golf. Oh, yeah. And they see it like a Stuart Hagestad right now is – He's, there were people that don't, you know, might not know half the guys on the PGA Tour, but they, they know, know they know Stu. Yeah, to totally. Yeah. yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. Um, you mentioned Pat Bigelow and yep. and uh, and then your caddy Tim. Yep. Just can you talk about like their impact last week and yeah. how long have you been working with Pat? 
Uh, he's, he's, I follow him on Instagram and uh, he's really great. He's, he's, he's a intense, thoughtful guy in this, in this really interesting way. He's really good. I, I used to work with someone when I first started playing golf, probably when I was 11, 12, 13 years old, I went to someone called named Mark Spencer. He played at Georgia. He still teaches up in uh, Wyndham and he was great. And he was exactly what I needed for junior golf, high school golf. And then eventually I got to college, stopped playing. And then the last like three, four years. And I said this to Pat, I started seeing him in January of this year. And I said to him, I said, when I go to the, he's like, what do you, when you go to the range, what do you do? What are your tendencies? And I said, I'm practicing to not get worse instead of trying to get better, which I'm assuming a lot of people who listen to this or just anything. That's an amazing way to put it. Can understand that, right? You're kind of, you're like, oh no, I'm good. I can just maintain. I just need to take this feel. And so the minute I started working with him, he's like, you do three things. I'm going to fix all three. It'll be gradual and and all of this and wasn't going to change a lot. And I'm a type, I'm the type of guy that I don't need to know how the sausage is made. I just need, like, tell me what I need to feel. I don't need to know the technicals. Yeah. He does a really great job of that. So we started working together in January, immediately played really well at Sea Island in, in the end of January. And he was great. And we had a bunch of things to still work on, but it was just like proof that it was starting to work. And then, through kind of some swing thoughts and changes, he's like, probably help if you got a little bit stronger in your lower back and things like that. And I was like, tell me something. I don't know. And so he's like, I have these friends who do, I would say more golf centric workouts, but also just good for life. And it was Kevin Duffy and and Tim Rivoto at RPS. And I went to them and I wouldn't say immediately saw changes, but definitely felt way better. Yeah. And so then played Gasparilla in February, had my best finish of second. I would have won any other of those tournaments if someone didn't shoot a 64 on me, but you're, that's good for him. <laughs> and so there, I've been working with them again for seven, eight months. I would say on and off. Like the great thing about Pat and working out is we got a wedding this week, so I haven't really been doing anything. And then there were different spots in the year where it was super busy with golf or with work. And we've only, I've only probably seen Pat for five like official lessons yeah and he came down to sleepy and kind of gave me a few things on like some chipping and some putting but they've been unbelievable yeah that's great you mentioned a bunch of really great elite amateur event mid amateur events just thinking about like 2019 you win your you win mass golf player of the year or 2020 sorry 2019 you win the mid am mass mid am at brayburn and like break the scoring record 2020 player of the year 2021 semifinal of the u.s mid-am like just this kind of growth and now you're playing in the gasparilla and you're playing the jones cup kind of can you talk about that just the trajectory that you feel like you've been on for the last four years and how maybe your mindset heading into a season has changed how you kind of schedule things out because you do a lot of traveling and jones cups in georgia in the winter and um you're going to gasparilla's down in tampa in february and like you've got all these events how do you how do you kind of manage all that now yep i have a very loving future wife. It It is. It's hard. I actually was on the phone with a friend right before this. And I said, no, I'm already planning out next year. Cause like they, they'll send out the invites right this time of year for the beginning of next year. Yeah. So you got to get creative with work. Luckily I work with some really great people. I can get somewhat flexible on how I do things. And I think you kind of get into a rotation of great tournaments you like to play in. You kind of find some tournaments that you're like, this is great, but it may not be an every year occurrence. Matt, Parzielli gave when I after 2020 and you won player of the year, it was one of those things where 
know, you got invited to a few more things, mid amateur, amateur. And so for me, it was, he's like, you can't do it all. Yeah. Like, you'd be busy every day, every week. And you might be broke. A hundred percent. You'd be broke. <laughs> Thankfully to some of these memberships, right? I think you end up getting creative with your housing, mm. food, all of those type of things where you don't think about that of like, oh yeah, I just fly to Georgia. And then you're like, well, now I need a rental car and I need somewhere to stay. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. and food. Most of these tournaments do a really phenomenal job of like either putting you up, giving you a lot of food, which is never a shortage, <laughs> helping with transportation, all these things. So for me, it was like figuring out what tournaments we like, not playing too much, not playing too little and trying to keep the you know tray on the track, so to say. But it's been, it's been really, really crazy. When I first kind of, I don't want to say came back, but start, started playing mid-amateur events, I didn't know really what was out there. Yeah. Started talking to people like Matt and others where it was like, oh, you play Pine Valley, you can play Seminole, you can play all these places. You're like, what? what? Like, why am I doing this the whole time? And so <laughs> for me, it was... I didn't know if I was ever going to win like a mass golf event or I was ever going to play USGA. And then Caleb and I won the four ball in 19 and it's a team event, but you're still like, yeah, I won a mass championship. And yeah. You're like, this is a blast. I love winning. And then qualified for played pretty well at the state amateur, I'll say, but then right before state amateur qualified for the USAM. And then you know, you're like, wow, I didn't think I'd ever qualify for a USGA. That gives you like so much confidence. I didn't play great. I just missed match play for my first USGA, but it was like, it was a blast. It was an eye-opening experience. And then you come back and you have the state mid-am. Sometimes you get lucky, right? I, do I expect to go out and win by what I won by? Absolutely not. But it was an absolute blast. And you're like, okay, now I won an individual tournament in yeah. mass. And you just kind of can see the wheels keep going. And then COVID was super weird, but it was great. It was one of those things that if you're playing great in a short amount of time, it was awesome. If you're playing bad in a short amount of time. So it was a little bit of luck within there of, I happened to play my best golf in a very short three week stretch. And that propelled one, the horn getting, blower, one, the horn blower. Yeah, yeah. I, I tell everyone it's the Dustin Johnson uh, of the horn blower, right? It's the off cycle <laughs> horn blower. So I have to win the real one. So it's like half a major, but that, yeah, it was a really great year. And then follow up to the next year, because I had done so well in 2020, I had been able to, I don't want to say manipulate my schedule, but play really high level events. My world rank was really strong. And I was like, the next year, the U.S. Minimeter is in your home state. Like you never get that chance or you might get it once in your amateur career. Right. And so my decision was to say, okay, well, I'm going to forfeit playing a couple of local events. I'll play a couple of more regional or national events, which was awesome. Right. The Northeast Amateur Jones Cup, whatever it might be. And then it was a transition to, okay, now you have to put your money where your mouth is when you're at Sankety because like you skipped out on events. And obviously yeah. it paid out for the semifinal, which then propelled a whole slew of tournaments since. So yeah. it was, it's been pretty crazy. I mean, I didn't think that I'd ever probably be good enough or would play you know, the Crumps and Gasparillas and everything else. But every time you get the the first USGA I played in was at Pinehurst, the, the US amateur. And yeah. I'm a huge Duke basketball guy. And Jay Billis was our speaker. And one of the things he said a lot of stuff, but one of the things that stuck out to me was like a lot of guys come here and they treat this as normal for their lives. And they treat this as normal for you know, the course of their career. If you want to call it that don't. And 
he's like, some guys here, this is going to be your only one. Yeah. And I didn't know where I was on that spectrum, but every time I get those invites, whether it's from Pine Valley or whether it's from you know, even a mass golf event where you're exempt or you know, the Jones cup I got last week, you're like, this is awesome. Yeah. Um, so I try to like, every time you get that invite in the mail, you're like, you never know what your last one's going to be until it's probably over. Yeah. Right. So trying to realize that because you, we, you know, getting older every day. And just the word exemption. It's a fun word. You can say, ask everyone at Mask Off about what I say, say about anyone, him. Anytime, you know, I remember having a conversation with um, Ben Spitz. Oh, yeah. And he, Benny, Ben would just, just to know you're exempt into the ones that he looks forward to. Yep. The medium, the the stadium, anything. Totally. I mean, what that's, you can't put a price tag on that. No. And I think for us working stiffs, being able to not, plan okay i can play in this championship proper i don't have to wait until the qualifying schedule comes out i need to find an extra day off of work right. if you have kids child care whatever it might be and yeah. so no i mean being exempt i remember the first year i was exempt for anything was after so 2017 i think was a state amateur at a charles river and i think i went to like the the round of eight right match play got you in so once i got in the match play, i was like oh i'm in the state am next year and then I got far enough where I got enough points where I was like, oh, now I'm going to probably be in the state open. And that was the first time I had ever been even close to that. Yeah. And so I remember that off season of like, oh, I don't, I mean, everything, I'm really good at golf. <laughs> and then I missed the cut in every single mass event thereafter in 2018. And so it taught me a good lesson of like, it is fantastic to not have to worry about qualifying you can't just rest on your, your right, laurels right. that like that exemptions of one year. Exa exactly. They can go as quick as they come. Yeah. So for sure. What is the U S mid am, uh, that semifinal in 21? Does that, was that, a, this was my last year. This is your last yeah, year. So it got me two. if I won my last match this year, um, if I got to round of eight instead of 16, I would be in for next year. So now it's a, uh, world rank slash qualifying for next year. Yeah, okay. So we'll see how that, pans out yeah uh, you have a propensity for going low sometimes sometimes <laughs> i know <laughs> you shot 56 at bradford blind squirrel uh, <laughs> well can, like going low shooting really good rounds in competition i know that 56 wasn't in competition you were just playing but like do you have any any tricks things that you kind of lean on when you're kind of going deep in a round i think that i think a lot of people even if you just want to, if you're trying to break 90 or break 80, like the same mindset, I think can help oh, totally. even if you're out there trying to break 60. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, I, the, listen, I'm not a huge Bryson DeChambeau guy. What he said a couple of weeks ago, I think it was when he was like, go out and play the front tees. Yeah. That was the most invaluable lesson I got. So going back to Mark Spencer, who I started working with when I was probably 12, 13, 14 is I got really good playing from pretty good from like the men's tee at certain courses and, and things like that. He had me go out at Atkinson and a few other golf courses and played from this front as you can get. And he's like, I want you to feel what it's like to be five under or six under or whatever the number is that you're uncomfortable with and press it one more. And mm -hmm. so I think for me now, it obviously the reason that to your point earlier with match play versus stroke play, the hard part about the mid am is like, you don't need to take on unintended consequences in stroke play. Cause you're like, I just need to make the top 64. I'll, I'll be seed right. 60 or I'll be seed one. It doesn't matter. Yeah. All I need is one. And so I would say in normal stroke play tournaments, right? You try to pick and choose a little bit of where you're trying to score some of its course familiarity with it, but 
ultimately I think like it's, it's, everyone has that threshold that they get uncomfortable with, right? Whether it's 30 on nine holes, whether it's under par on nine holes, under par on 18 holes, whatever it might be. And the minute that you start trying to steer it, right. Or you're like, I get, I want to get this in the house. Mm. You might not even be leading, right? Like there are plenty of times where I've been like one or two under par through 14 or 15 holes. I'm not even winning, but I'm just like, Oh no, like this is really good for today. I'm not playing great. I just want to get in the house. And what do you end up doing? You go bogey, 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 or whatever it is. <laughs> yep. And you're like, Oh, one over is not that bad, but it's like, no, one shot at a time. It's super cliche, but like, that's what you have to do to, to go low. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. Yeah. That DeChambeau, when he shot, that was after he shot 58. That was, yeah. I've heard that too. Just it, it make it's totally makes sense. And yeah. I think so many people, I, I take Grey Horse, for example. You, know, you go out and play the black or the red tees. It's 7,100 <laughs> yeah. to 7,600 all the way back. You can go back there and you can shoot a 76 and you're a plus two handicap. You're like, yeah. great. It's but like, like your scratch is 80 from the very yeah. from the tips. And then your, yeah. your, your consequence after that is like, well, I didn't really shoot under par. I don't feel that great about my game. Right. And so whether it's playing a certain tournament, like I play, there are certain tournaments where I go in where I'm not saying I can't win, but a top 10 would be a really great week. And then I go to other ones where like, no, I absolutely should be winning this golf tournament. And I need to be able to say that for all of them. And I think it's the same thing if you're just trying to break a number. Is there one that you, what, what's a tournament that right now you think a top 10 would be great? And uh, Northeast Amateur. Yeah. I play that place two or three times a summer just that for fun. And I'll break 68, like breaking sticks and go out and play the tournament. Granted the pins and the greens and the rough, everything is a little yeah. bit different, but that's one where, you know, the kids are, yeah. 40 yards by me. You, know, you have <laughs> Dylan Menente and some other guys that are shooting 18, 19, 20 under par. I mean, it's silly. Yeah, that would be a tournament, Jones Cup included, right? Where, you know, you have guys that are going out. You have Davis Thompson, you have uh, Ludwig, like yeah. crazy, where it's like I'm hitting balls with these guys at the range, and a couple of years later, they're on the Ryder Cup, like literally <laughs> one year removed. And right. so for me, it's like I know where I am on the pecking order, but it's like if I have a really good week, yeah, I could contend. And so you know, it's just believing that. And then it's not letting the course be like, oh, no, it's hard. You can't shoot a low score. It's like, no, you can shoot a low score. You're just going to believe you can. Yeah. What's the tournament? You just happen to mention tournament you feel you should win. You play the one in Atkinson are you every year. And yeah. first of all, why do you play it? Yeah. And that's it's going to be special to you. It's absolutely special. So it's called the Helium Memorial. OK. Um, used to be the Rogers way back okay. in the day. Um, and then, you know, the newspaper stopped doing it. And then just the 12th year, I think we've been doing the Healy, I believe. And so probably, I think 13 or 14 years ago, Joe Healy passed away and I've known his family for a really long time. And so they thought it would be a great opportunity to run an amateur event that raised money in a scholarship in Joe's name for junior golfers or people involved in junior golf or involved in golf period as they go to college. So I want to say they've given out I say we, but it wasn't, I have nothing to do with it. I think over $50,000 at a minimum for students going into college, either people that are already in college or going to college that are either involved in outside golf activities, caddying, pro shop, whatever it might be. And so it's always in the Merrimack Valley. It's always Atkinson, Bradford, something around okay. there, which obviously I grew up in that area and yeah. continue to play up there. And so 
when I first started playing it, it was really, I mean, good players still play, but you know, you had Colin Brennan win it and then he turned yeah. pro Nick Antonelli, Nick Pandalina, Joe Levitt, like all these guys who then turned pro after. So after the first time I won it, everyone's like, Oh, you're going to turn pro. And I was like, not good enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's fun because it's, it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it's pretty stress-free. It's always up near my parents, every friend that like wants to watch me, but you know, because of how far golf makes me travel, usually don't try to. So, and it's one of those that it gives me confidence playing in that, especially like this year, early this year, I was playing pretty well and then got to the, you know, state amateur and whether a lack of confidence or whatever, didn't play great. And then played that a couple of weeks later and, you know, for lack of a better term, blew the doors off. And, and I was like, okay, I, it's there. And so yeah. you, know, you need a couple of those tournaments a year where whether it's, the tournament, whether it's the courses, right? Like you, people can always go back and play course that they love or the one that they're like really good at. And it makes you gain confidence. I think I know Tasho for years would always play, always play the Brockton four ball. Yep. Always. Yep. Uh, Brockton's a birdie fest. So if you yeah. know, and you, you go there and, and yeah. it's kind of playing Triggs Memorial early in the year with the challenge cup running yep. that tournament down there and seeing, I just think, those things are the tournaments that can't go away because totally. it's what you grew up with. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, the challenge cup, Dave does a phenomenal job and you have the same five or six tournaments that all the juniors in new England have played, right? It's the world series. It's the amateur invitational in new England country club. It's you know, the match play that they play at the beginning of the yep. year. So it, it and it, you start to get used to those courses. So then, when you go back and you're like, oh, I need to gain confidence because I just played the Jones Cup and got my teeth kicked in. <laughs> you're like, okay, well, I'm going to go play a tournament that I know the course like Triggs in New England. And yeah, it's not as like hard. It's still a really good field. It's getting the ball in the hole. You still have to but get you, it. You still have to get yeah. it, but you can at least know like, okay, if I play good, I know the course and it's out yeah. there. So no, I, I totally agree. Those tournaments should never die. Speaking of tournaments, we go to the other end of the spectrum, and the Crump Cup is this weekend. You yes. played it for the first time last year. Yes. You mentioned you're getting married this weekend, so I don't yep. think you can squeeze in both. No, 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 no. I'd be in big trouble. Yes. I tried to play golf yesterday, and that would have got me in big trouble, so I don't think that a trip to South Jersey. four days in South Jersey would have been great. We've had Matt Parziali in here talk about the Crump Cup, too, but like as a first-timer last year, I mean, I know it's easy to wax poetic about the place and everything, but like something for you that like completely blew your mind outside of the expectations you already had. You'd never played there before. I had never, I did. I played there once um, in the spring. So but, but after you got invited, did you go? I did not get invited yet. Okay. So it was, I don't want to say it was r rumored, but it was a member who was a friend of mine. I won't name him, but he was like, Hey, I think you have a really great shot of getting in. Why don't you come down and play in May? So me and three friends went down there in May played. And that was the first time seeing the course. And I yeah. was like, this place is stupid. <laughs> and after that, I had met a couple of the staff. He put in a really great word for me and, and then got the a subsequent invite a couple months after. And so, yeah, I mean, the first time you're there, I'll say for the Crump Cup, A is the simplicity in which they do everything very well golf course included, but also like staying all the, I'll say rookies stay in the annex, which is just the community showers, like no TVs. It's like the crow's it, nest for as, as much as I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, Matt can adjust yeah, to that yeah. better, but that was unbelievable. Like it was super simplistic, but it was like 
all it is is golf. Like it's the biggest golf getaway you can have with friends that you know. And yeah. so the short course was awesome. So kind of the unspoken thing is if you play Friday or if you play Thursday late, Friday early, Friday afternoon, you go out to the short course and you go out and play. And then the food, it always comes back to food with me, is awesome. The turtle soup, no one's brought that up, was really good with the brandy you're supposed to put in. And so they just do, they do everything well, whether it's getting your own golf cart when you have a cabin, if you stay on property, it's the range and the practice facility. The only thing I'll say is like the golf course is so freaking hard. Uh, <laughs> it's so hard. It's like you're, I've never played a golf course that you white knuckle it around almost the entire time because like you just know that it's not like most courses where like you just know bogeys hovering over your head it's like not triple or worse is hanging yeah, over yeah. your head grim reaper yeah and so but it's it's such a blast i think the first i'm trying to think of like what my biggest takeaway would be probably how small the pro shop is yeah yeah it's probably not much but i mean it's probably maybe the double size of this room yeah but they have everything you could possibly want yep so for sure including the soap favorite yeah. favorite hole <laughs> Choose. I know every, like, choosing it's, your favorite it's like every hole yeah. would be the best hole at any other yeah. golf course but is there a hole that you go back in your mind or you like you're excited to play again or even like a shot that kind of yeah there's a lot of them I would say one of my I think my favorite hole just because of the design and how like strategic I think it's a perfect encapsulation of the design of Pine Valley is the eighth hole the double green yeah it's short yep they're like, hit whatever you want off the tee. And then it's like, <laughs> yeah, you got to hit it to like a coffee table size. <laughs> and it, that's one where you could make birdie or you can make X. And so I think for me, like that's a lot of that golf course. And the, the other thing that I tell people is most of the time, especially up in New England or just competitive golf, like most, I would say most really good amateurs and pros think that their biggest opportunity to score is par fives. Mm. Those are the two hardest holes at Pine Valley. Yeah. In my opinion of you have to hit a really good drive you have to hit a really good second shot which is almost better than the drive and then you got to hit a really really good third shot yes yeah. and, and so whereas some other holes you, know, you can hit kind of an okay tee shot and you can still get it up and around the green it's like the par fives you got to go really crazy so and they have the greatest set of par threes in the world i know that this is more than one hole but they have the it ranges anywhere from uh, 150 60 yards to 250 uphill and it's like they're all unbelievable yeah the, is it the fifth hole? the fifth hole yeah is okay. the hardest par three probably in the world yeah. I, I would imagine yeah, 250 yeah. uphill usually into the wind and you still got guys making aces there in the prep cup <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is crazy. luckier yeah. than me that's yeah. for sure i'm not making an ace in that hole <laughs> i just played it once and i and i'm not really good player but i can get it around i can make bogey you yeah, if yeah. i have to and it was my biggest takeaway. You couldn't even play for a bogey there. No. I mean, I mean, you couldn't, nothing was guaranteed. You, the greens are fast. Oh, and, from the get-go too. And like, I just remember the caddy walking off a of one. I went from thinking I might get a, I might make par here at one <laughs> to making a double bogey <laughs> from like 40 yards. And the guy, caddy just grabbed me and goes, he didn't know I wasn't that good. And he goes, professional players don't come here shouldn't come here to try to shoot a number no it's the hardest golf I no mean, it's but the bunkers are not they don't really manicure no they're um, true hazards yeah, yeah. no rakes I, no rakes yeah no um rakes. i i think that's the way it should be played at most golf courses right but not all golf courses have the same sand 
nor do they have, you know, the, I would say the, the architecture that they have there, but I think a hundred, like you have no idea what you're going to get in those, but it's like, if you had a bad shot, you probably deserve it. Right. Yeah. So many times, even in sleepy, <laughs> sleepy hollow in Fenway, I had some in the bunker. I will not say on purpose, but it wasn't, I knew that was the bailout and yeah. that's where you can hit it at Pine Valley. That is not the case. You yeah. stay out of there. Yeah. yeah. At all you, costs. You, you could be, I remember <laughs> I played the day I played Brad Traxon was a member and Brad said, you could be in a deer print. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you look at him and <laughs> sure enough, I was in there and I wasn't in a deer print, but I said, what do you do? And he goes, it's a hard shot. <laughs> <laughs> Take a big divot. <laughs> yeah. Dig deep. Last, last thing for me, at least we, we have a lot of like junior college readers, a lot of parents. I know your, your kind of path to where you are now is, is different than kind of the traditional, traditional path. Like what advice would you give maybe the high school version of Nick Macario? If you could, if you could talk to that guy about like golf or country club for the prep, (laughs) but no, I'm kidding. (laughs) Yeah. I think one of the best parts about golf as a whole is there's no age frame where like you need to start playing to get good first and foremost. I think one of the best pieces of, I don't even know if it was advice, but observations was from Dave Adamonis probably at this point, 16 years ago. And he was like, Nick's probably going to just get better with age. I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know <laughs> what he meant by that is I probably took it as an insult back then, but I think like you got to kind of learn your game. You can't model after somebody else. And you don't need to play, I don't want to say at the highest level for you to be successful, but you know, the unique part, and, and my fiance tells me this all the time is like she played division one, or excuse me, division two field hockey and was an all American. But the minute she graduated, that was over. Yeah. Right. For good, bad, or indifferent with golf. Like mine started after college. I yeah. played one year in college. I wasn't that great. The experience wasn't that great. And stopped playing, I would say somewhat competitively. And then 25 kicked around and like started to pick it back up. And there's this whole circuit, right. That you can play, be successful, feel, feel successful, I guess. And what you're you're fulfilled, I guess is the word I'm looking for. And so I think for like the kids that are, I have to go to Florida or I have to go to X, Y, and Z. I would say that that's great. If that's what you want to do and you want to, I would go there to enjoy the weather But at the same point, I think the best decision I ever made was stop playing golf in college. Now, if I was at a different school or I was at a different program, maybe that could have been different. But I think for me, it was once you get the, once golf isn't your life and your job, even if you're a 16 year old kid, like that's not technically your job, but it feels like it is. The minute you get a real world job, you have bills, maybe a wife or a kid or dog, whatever it is. And then you can go out and play golf, like your perspective. And I hate I, every podcast and every person is like, <laughs> oh, perspective week. It definitely changes. And so I think for those kids that are like, oh, well, Ryan Downs and John Broderick and oh my God, why am I blanking? All the other good players. Yeah. Sorry to all the other juniors that I know uh, <laughs> or college players, but like, oh, they're going to Vanderbilt. Like I'm getting lapsed. I need to go to X, Y, and Z. Like that's all good. But like you, know, you could be. I don't want to say better, but you could be great in two years. I, the The greatest example, we were talking about it last week. I was with Joe Harney at mm-hmm. the, the Mid-Am and we had dinner almost every night at Ruth's Chris. Shout out to White Plains Ruth's Chris, five nights in a row. But one of the things that we were talking about was Cam Wilson. I don't know if you remember Cam Wilson. He played yes, yes. Challenge Cup. And 
went to Stanford. He was the number one junior in the country, in the world, won NCAAs individually, I think as a freshman at Stanford, qualified yep. for the Open at Olympic. Yes. Did I think, I mean, he was the best golfer I'd ever seen in person up through high school and, and probably college. He's not playing this game anymore. And not to say that that's like a good test case, but ultimately when it comes to these kids, it's like you never know where you're going to fall on getting burnt out, where you're going to find yourself. And you know, the great thing is, is kind of the tournaments we talked about this whole time was these tournaments are going to be around. You can come back and support Mass Golf. You can come back and support the mm-hmm. Challenge Cup and play all this stuff. So if you feel like you're a late bloomer, you're behind the, the eight ball, it, typically not the case. And I love the, like, it is not an insult as for kids out there to be told, like, your best of whatever is yeah, ahead of you. Totally. It's, I mean, I hope. And my, I think it's seen, I, I mean, it's just, it can be seen as like, oh, like, that means I'm not as good as I should be now. Right. That, that's not I think it's, if you it said is. it to someone at work, like if my boss came in or you know, my boss's boss came up to me right now and said, like, you're not nearly as good at sales as you are going to be in 10 years, I'd say, I hope so. Yeah. Like, if this is my best, we're in trouble. <laughs> Our company's in trouble. <laughs> and so I think that's probably the perfect example of like, you take it as an excuse or you take it as an insult when you're 16 because you're like, all these other kids are good or I'm not going to get better. It's like, no, like you, you have plenty of time. And you know, the game has gotten so much younger so fast but at a certain point what's your goal what are you trying to do so yeah i think you got plenty of time you can yeah you can be and i because i know a lot of players that are pretty good players when they were kids really good players now totally 35 40 something clicks yeah with anything and and it's you learn you accept your game totally Um, a lot of kids think there's only one way to and they all try to play the one way is (laughs) hit it is (laughs) far as you can yep. and now you watch guys out there that by 40 years old they realize she's i can't hit it 320 so i'm gonna put them yeah right like a demon totally and i think uh, the unique thing is uh, there's always a place for these kids to play if it's in new england you don't mm-hmm. have to hit it long which is great uh, there are certain there's probably one or two tournaments a year where like yeah being long is helpful but yeah. like look at the tour there's plenty of guys that are in the middle of the pack that week in and week out. Yeah. There's advantages to certain places, but they ultimately find kind of their sweet spot. And I think it's okay. Am I, what am I really good at? Am I, am I naturally hitting a fade? Do I try to hit a draw? Like those kinds of things where I think like, as you get older, you're like, you don't have to hit every single shot the perfect way to 10, 15 feet, right? Like if the pin's back left, you don't have to hit the 10 yard draw into it. It's like, no, hit it at it. If you hit it with a fade, you're perfectly fine. So I think there's some of that and course management's a big piece and it, it, you always, you're always learning too, which is part of it. Well, congratulations a little early on your wedding. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Yeah. 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 She's got four days. (laughs) And do you have any, you've shutting it down for a little bit or what's your, what's on the schedule? Not too much. So going to play for the first time this year, the Berkeley cup down in Georgia. So I'm going down there for work for a few days and then I'm going to play there at Berkeley Hills, which will be a blast. It's a mid-am event that's fairly new. And so I have some friends yeah. that have played that. Yeah. And so I'll play that. And then also I'm going to play for the first time this year. Although I played there for the four ball last year with Caliph, the Birmingham Invitational of in Birmingham. So I love that place that the four ball was fantastic there. And so I'm really looking forward to getting down there in November and then take all December off and you know, try to do some swing stuff and just kind of recoup. And then January we'll start up at Jones Cup. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, good luck. Thank you. Congrats. Thank you for having me. Uh, thanks yeah. for joining us. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Yeah. Congrats. Thanks. All right. That was a great discussion with Nick Macario talking about 
all things uh, mid-am golf and his his ascendancy. It's it's uh, it's been pretty fun to watch. Yeah. Um, so now let's let's jump in and talk about a golf course like we do at the end of every every episode here. Golf course confidential. Uh, just want to shine a light on a place that uh, that we like or that I like, and maybe you've never played Jim. In this case, no. before we uh, hit record, I just asked, "Have you played Little Marion?" And you said, "I love it." Love it. Um, played for there for the first time on Friday as a as Tropical Storm Lee blew through a little bit. Played it in some some good winds. <laughs> it was fun. I'm struggling right now with a little golfer's elbow, so I was only able to play nine holes. Golfer's elbow sucks, by the yeah, way. It's yeah. not it's not fun trying to rest it, but couldn't miss this this afternoon down in Marion. Uh, what do you love about Marion? Before I kind of give some details about it, that it kind of. Listen, I love history, and I knew some of the background, and I know um, pretty friendly with the gentleman and who is one of the investors, and yep. Jeremiah Daly. Yep, and his brother is there at the shop, and there's he and his brother played it. It's yep. Quick history about Jeremiah's dad. Jer- Jerry Daly was a legend in the golf business around here years ago. Wonderful guy. He had a big job at Titleist. He had a great, great career ahead of him and sadly passed away way too young. And I think Jerry would be smiling, is smiling down at what Jeremiah and a couple of his close friends, three, three of them, bought the place. Yep. They they just want to keep this place because that part of the state doesn't have a lot of golf. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, it 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 offers them nine really cool, unique holes. Yes. And when you say unique, unless you play a lot of shots over stone walls to greens protected by a stone wall, you just <laughs> you just have to embrace it. And there is a 180-degree dog leg right the second hole. Yep. Which messes with a lot of uh, a lot of people who have played it the first oh, yeah. time because they think yes. the seventh green is Me, the target. <laughs> yeah, I had the driver in my hand, and my nephew said, "Uncle Jim, you can't." And I said, "Where are we going?" He says, <laughs> and then it came back to me because I had played there years ago. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite the experience it was this time or the last few times I have. I I love the place. I urge people to go and play it and if especially if you are someone who remembers what it was like to walk up to the first tee and throw you a Kushnut special golf ball into the thing and it wraps down and does that thing have a name? Oh, it's the ball. spiral. I, it's I, like I, a it's the spiral time. for yeah. the order of the you put your ball in and when your Correct. ball reaches the bottom, it's right. your turn on the tee. And the starter would gentleman would pick out and then goes, Who's got the top flight for? Yeah. That'd be me. You're up. Yep. It's just a, just a cool feature and the stone walls. And at the end of the day, there were nine pretty good holes. Yes. They, they all have their own little features, a little shorty, couple short ones. The ninth hole um, is a short one. And But it really makes you hit a lot of clubs in your bag. I'm not saying you have to hit all 14 of them, but you hit a lot of them. For nine holes, yes. it's it's yes. pretty staggering yeah. how many how many different shots you have to hit. And yeah, I was... I was blown away by the fact that like you stand on the first tee and you can't see the green, you can't see the green, but it looks like it should just be out there somewhere. And then you hit your tee shot and you just get to the end of the fairway and it's a 60 yard little shot downhill to yeah. a little green. And you're like, Oh man, I thought, 
I thought I'd have like a hundred visually from the first, from the tee box, it looks like it goes deeper into the woods. And then you stand on the second tee and the seventh green is probably like 270, yeah, 250 yards yeah. out in the distance. And you think, Oh, it's a little short par four. And guys I was playing with are like, no, 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 you just want to hit it like 180, 190 yards. And then you make that turn and it is literally a, a right turn and you have 130 yards in, but that 130 yards you're hitting over like a berm with, berm. with a bunker and two trees that are growing out of the berm in a really crowned green. And the green is insane. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, 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 and you got to know the history and what I, what I, when, what I embraced about it right away, the, you know, when I went back a couple of years ago to, and was enlightened to how good it was. It's a George Thomas design, right? George Thomas back in the, Day was actually when he did a little, little Marion. It was the, it, kind of the first it, thing he did. First thing he did. 1904. And he, he apparently was pretty good because he did Riviera. Bel Air. Bel Air. Yeah. Quite good. And, but to think that this is his and it's a mile and a half from Catansit. Yes. And this is the, as the story, the legend goes, the Brits came in to play a Walker Cup, I think in 53 at Catansit. And they got to this thing and they said, well, here's a golf course. And <laughs> I, I, I got to believe they got out there and real quickly realized this was not Catanza. This was not the Walker Cup. But oh, they, they got there thinking that was the that, host that's, course? That's, that's kind of the legend that oh, they, that's... they got to this place first and probably figured, where, bloody hell, where are we? I'll tell you what, it might have felt more like home like, than sure it would have, hitting sure. over rock walls and burns yes, and yes, blind yes. funny shots. That's um, hilarious. But to Jeremiah and his partners and the people who are doing it, all the power to them. It's a, it's a love story that they, they're putting money into it. The place has got very good greens. It's getting better and better as they play. They've kept the rock walls. They've kept the unique fat features to it. Yeah. And it's extremely affordable. Yep. And when you're there, you feel like, I think this was what golf was when I was a kid. This is how it was when I first started. This is, this is golf. It's golf. Yep. Three par threes. Mm -hmm. Two of them. You are literally hitting over stone walls. walls. There were guys standing on the third tee box when I was playing and uh, we might've been on the fifth or sixth hole, which the course really like you play one and then two brings you out into this kind of open field and, Basically, all the holes kind of go back and forth, yep. but there's features that run. You know, there's a couple stone walls, a couple berms that are with long, shaggy grass that you do not want to get stuck in. And these guys were standing on the third tee, looking around at all the different possibilities of greens they could hit to. And they yeah. asked us, like, "Hey, where's the third green?" And we had to point it's that way, and you can only see the flag of flag. the flag stick. Yeah, you can't see anything else. And if you don't look close enough, you can't see it because you wouldn't think to look over a rock wall. And there's even a couple of trees there. Uh, the eighth is another one you hit over uh, a stone wall, another par three, the ninth, you kind of walk back towards a clubhouse and it's a 115 yard shot, but it's another, like there's a bunker and almost another wall kind of, and the, the right. green is just behind it, just a blind behind shot. It. I'm sure there's a lot of hole in ones there because the green's got a, kind of a cool punch bowl feature to it. It is $21 to play nine holes yeah. during the weekday, 23 on the weekends. You can play 18 holes for $29 or 31 on weekends and holidays, or you can just fork over 45 or 50 bucks and play as much golf as you want for the day, which 
you could you could really play that place a bunch of times. And at the end of the day, you could just go out with you could play the whole place with a six iron, the third or fourth trip around, and you just know what? yeah. If you don't, if you're not, if you're not obsessed with oh, I want to make this for school. Exactly. I want to do that. Take out four, four or five clubs. Yep. Putter in four four clubs or something. And the third, the four, I think four, five, six are good holes. Yeah. You make sure you hit it. And when, when, at the end of the day, if you play, you're going to meet a lot of cool people. Right. I, it just reminded me of when I first went down another nine hole up Highland Links. And I remember the yeah. first time I ever played it, I played with three guys who just come off the lobster boats. Yep. And at Marion, you could find anyone. I played one day with a gentleman who was had an incredible resume of where he's played in the world. And he knew golf courses. And we both happened, we both had played North Berwick mm-hmm. in Scotland, which yep. is, you know, arguably, I would tell people, <laughs> go there before the old course if you have the chance to. North Berwick is just outrageously good. And the connection with North Berwick to Marion is Gil Hans will tell you that when he studied, he devoted a year, maybe more. Yep. Studying North Berwick. I studied a lot of the links in Scotland, but North Berwick was the one that really just made an impact on Gil. And Gil is going to be doing some alterations and, I forget what word they love to use now. It's, yeah. not, it's not a redo. It's not It's, it's not a restoration it's or a renovation. A restoration. It's, a it's going to be reimagining is another phrase yeah, I've heard. Yeah. yeah. And and Gil's doing it when I think he's excited. I know he's excited about it because this is a nine-hole course that has so much it's you get so much pleasure out of playing it. Yep. You really do. Yep. Yeah, I'm interested to see what as we were walking around and the three guys I was playing with who I'd never met either um before before Friday afternoon, we were trying to figure out what Gil Hans is going to do mm-hmm. just as far as, you know, it's a pretty flat piece of land. We were thinking maybe he's going to bring some of the, the greens when you kind of step back and look at them, they're all basically perfect circles. Yeah. Um, but they have really cool slopes on the interior. I would imagine Hans is maybe going to start to bring them maybe back to something a little less uniform across the board maybe adding adding a little bit of shape to some bunkers yeah. but i it, i'm interested to see what he what he's going to no, do cuz i have too. no idea he, um i just i remember a year and a half ago when talking to jeremiah for a story i was doing on it and i said about rumor about gill and he confirmed it and gill was I reached out to gill and he told me he was ecstatic about doing it and he knows the history george thomas is yep. he's obviously one of the renowned architects. I mean, you don't have to do 400 golf courses. I mean, not not everything. <laughs> not everyone's Donald Ross. Yeah, not everyone's Donald <laughs> Ross. Um, but what Thomas did is, my goodness. I yeah, mean, and he did LACC as well. LACC. And Hans just and Gil, yeah. redid LACC before the before the U.S. Open this summer. I think, so I think aesthetically, Gil always enhances the look. Yeah. And clearly they can... This is still new to the folks that took this over. It's only yep. been a few years. And they also have a really cool, I don't know exactly what the agreement is with them and Mass Golf, but yep. I know that I think they're going to host the young. They've hosted yeah, a couple of the young they're gonna, golfers. They're committed to hosting yep. several of them. Yep. 
and I don't want to say they're going to be a, a rota, but but maybe if that is the proper word, I don't know. Yeah, which I think is fantastic. I think it's it's wonderful that you come up, kids can look at a golf course, a nine-hole golf course that has a lot of loving, tender care put into it. Yeah. And this is what they're going to get. Yeah. And charm and quirk. It's like as a young kid growing up and playing a place like that, you would definitely be ready for whatever odd bounces you would get anywhere else in the world. Um, Because it just has that, those little weird, you can hit a good shot and suddenly you're in, in a berm or you get a funny bounce into a bunker. And like, that's just how Marion works. And that's typically how good golf courses operate for the most part. It drives some people crazy, but um, yeah, it, it, I would have a hard time if I was a Catancet member leaving Catancet driving home without the gravitational pull of like, I'm just going to go, I'll go play, yeah, play nine. quick nine maybe, and it'll take me an hour and an hour. 15 minutes yeah. and, and then I'll go home. You're going to um, meet good people there too. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So I would encourage everyone, whether it's a fall golf excursion or even, I don't know if they stay open. It's in that part of the state that sometimes it's open during the winter or check if it's open during the winter. If you get a, if you get a nice day, it is worth the drive from, really like anywhere you're coming, anywhere you're coming from in the state. I drove from Charlestown and it took me some time on a Friday afternoon and it was, it was worth the drive. So go check it out. You can pay $50 on the weekend to play as much golf as you want. I don't know if there's a, there's not many better deals than that in the state. So go play little Marion, go play it a lot. That's, uh, that's it for today's episode. Want to thank you for listening to the Encores podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe. I also encourage you to find us on Instagram and Twitter or X or whatever we're calling that nowadays. Uh, Thanks to Dave Yaz for producing the podcast and hopping in and giving us a little bit of history lesson there earlier in the episode. The Encores podcast is a Siemens Media production.